Welcome back to another episode of The Outsiders with Alex Cohen, Chris Bakke, and Michael Girdley. Hopefully this week we'll get our episode out on time. Apologize to all the listeners who had to wait an entire weekend to hear stale news this week. Um, but we have a lot of fun stuff to talk about. Uh, we're back in the pod. I'm back at home. I'm no longer in the jungle. So I think we're in free. But and Chris finally prepared before an episode. So round of applause for you Chris. guys. I prepared stories. But here's the thing. You know what? I have to talk about this. I prepared three stories. I came into the dock and Michael had stolen one of my stories, <laughs> but it was a story that I was least excited about, which is the Facebook story, which we'll get into. So he can he can have that story. I don't care about that story. Perfect. Correct. I'm, I'm definitely I'm, I'm hungry for your uh, for your scraps. Thank you very much. <laughs> story <laughs> theft. Yeah, yeah. Well, on that but note, it's good Chris, to be here. since you are so well prepared today, why don't you kick us off with the first story? All right. So all of my stories today are about my favorite topic, which is corporate fraud. And so the first story that I have to talk about is this. It's actually a company that I totally forgot about. The problem with stories that were amazing between, you know, March of 2020 and today is that the news cycle just turns so quickly. And there's so many amazing stories of fraud that the, like the best gems actually get lost pretty easily. So there's this company called Aussie Media. Um, they were founded, I think, in 2013 uh, by this guy, Carlos Watson, and another guy, Samir Rao. So this, the, the CEO, Carlos Watson, he was a anchor on MSNBC, CNN. He was on the board of NPR, sort of a legend amongst the media industry. Um, and they first kind of came to light after like seven years in business or eight years in business, I guess, in 2021, when the New York Times did this like very hilarious story on them, I think in September of 2021, where Samir Rao, who's one of the co-founders of this company, is on the phone with Goldman Sachs and is lying to Goldman Sachs, pretending to be a YouTube executive, talking about like, oh man, this this company, Aussie Media, is like a great partner to, to YouTube and They've done so many amazing things for us. And Goldman Sachs was on the phone to like do, I think, a $40 million Series C for this company. And one of the guys had this like, one of the guys at Goldman had this really weird feeling about the call, like that, that like there was like voice alteration software being used on the call. And so he just emails the guy or he goes to LinkedIn or something and, and like pings the guy who he's allegedly talking to and just goes, hey, were you on that call earlier? And this YouTube executive goes, was not on any call, have never heard of this company before. And so the co-founders like sitting in front of Goldman's investment committee, just lying, pretending to be this YouTube executive, all sorts of crazy stuff happened. But the company at that point had raised $70 million. Um, anyway, the CEO gets arrested today, which is pretty crazy news because he, he like was this like once legend in sort of the media industry. So after raising $71 million, lying to investors about all of their traction, I think he told investors that they had like $88 million in revenue when they actually had less than $8 million. Um, it was like a terrible, like low margin business. They had like hundreds of employees. Uh, so the guys in a Manhattan hotel gets arrested today. And this just goes back to, we've talked a lot about corporate fraud on the pod, but like this is obvious corporate fraud. So if you're at home, go to YouTube, put in Aussie Media. Their YouTube channel is still alive, even though the company has gone bankrupt. Hmm. They have like hundreds of videos that literally have tens of views. Like a media company is the easiest thing in the world to fact check. Like I, I actually get how people get healthcare wrong. I get how people get like B2B SaaS wrong. If you're purporting to have like all of this crazy revenue, today their YouTube channel has 4,000 subscribers, right? So it's like 
This is like, this is just like blatant oversight. It's a hilarious story. Uh, and uh, I, I'm i very happy that this guy got arrested. But uh, it's like one of, you know, a thousand corporate fraud stories that we had in the news cycle. But after two years, he finally, you know, gets got and uh, and he's got charged with uh, all these all these crazy things. Yeah, it's still incredible, incredible to me how many people are just willing to blatantly lie, whether it's to investors or it's to the public. They just... I don't know how you stand there and you just go, yes, we're making $88 million a year when you know you're generating sub $10 million. Like you just have to be sociopathic to be able to get in front of a room of people that you're taking money from and just never think you're going to get caught. I just, um, but, but we hear so many of these stories. It is no, it no longer feels like a black swan event where you just have one off crazy founders going off and, and, and lying and deceiving everyone it feels like it became a trend. I don't know if it's always been like this and now we're finally hearing the stories that are coming to light, but um, it unfortunately is starting to feel very common. So the, the, I think the most interesting byproduct of all this fraud, by the way, is it's very likely in the next wave of venture capital investment that happens, like venture capital will actually start to do reference checking and like due diligence because like so many of these folks, like you, you'll talk to them and you're like, yeah, I've invested in this company. I've been in for like three rounds. I'm like, oh yeah. How many customers did you talk to? Zero. Like how many, did you ever, did you look at their audited financials? No. Like, like the concept of market or business due diligence for most VC firms is like exactly zero because it's just impossible, right? Let's say you're a, a solo GP and you have $20 million under management. Like there's no way you have enough time to do all of the stuff required to run a fund and actually like double check that the founders aren't lying to you. So it's just, it's bizarre, but I'm starting to hear more and more VCs actually talk about doing diligence. So I don't know. Well, could turn, yeah, could just, I've just heard of this term for the first time. This whole due diligence thing. I'm going to have to Google it, but uh, it seems it seems like a good a good idea for investors to start doing. I mean, I've never been a part of it because I've only ever raised money from like you know 2010 until today. But like I've I've heard of people that have had to go through that you know well, in, in the past. I, I tweeted about this earlier this week, and I ended up deleting the tweet. But I would really love a service where I could put in the name of someone or a Twitter handle or a LinkedIn profile, and I want something to tell me if there's bad shit in their past. Like, did they embezzle money at their last company? Were they arrested for assault charges? Like, it, it is very difficult to find these things because people are incredibly good at writing their own narratives, uh, especially after something has gone bad and they scrub it from the internet or whatever happens and they say, oh, look, I'm back and I'm, uh, or they don't even bring it up, right? I mean, there's, a, there's an infamous uh, implosion that happened last year with a startup and the founder had moved here and changed his name. And like he like shortened his name legally. And so it was hard to find the history of what he had done previously uh, in the country that he was no longer living in. And there needs to be an easier way to do diligence on, on people. Um, and I hope maybe something like that comes out of all of this mess. It's just like, hey, put in a name. Tell me if there's a track record of X, Y, and Z thing. Or if you find some like crazy racist tweets from from five or six years ago because like i don't have time to go scroll 10 years through someone's twitter profile and go find those things <laughs> look here's how you could tell the guy was going to be a scumbag he moved to austin oh come on <laughs> <laughs> that'll do it well, was he actually in austin <laughs> No, that's where you said he moved here. That's the joke. No. Oh my God. No. Look, if you don't US. give me the proper setup, I oh can't do these God. jokes. All right. <laughs> Fine. Austin. We'll go with Austin. He moved here. Everyone in Austin sucks. Don't move here. Move to San Antonio. Everyone's honest and transparent there. 
<laughs> no, we're not. There's some scumbags here too. It is interesting when you when you're part of like a tech community anywhere, like it I always now look into when somebody comes into the tech community like very suddenly, it always sets off like little red flags. Like usually those people like they're running from place to place. Like, and I'm like, okay, well, why did you move to San Antonio? Why did you move to Austin? Are you running to something or are you running away from something? And there's a lot of running away from something that you end up discovering like, oh, these people were scumbag. Taxes, Michael. They're running from taxes. That's why they're moving to Texas and Florida. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's also, it's very interesting. So have have you heard the hypothesis that there are more scumbags in the dating pool per capita in bigger markets than there are in smaller markets, like in New York? No. Have you, have you heard of this? So think about no. it, right? From a game theory standpoint, if you're in a small market, let's say like uh, Pleasanton, California, and you're in the dating market, right? And you start to wrong people and be a scumbag, it's hard to hide there mm-hmm. because the network is pretty small. The dating pool is not as big. But you go to a place like New York, you can go through a lot of people before they start to realize you're a total scumbag. So the percentage is more likely from a game theory standpoint to be higher. Yeah. So yeah. I think so if you're a scumbag, move to New York or Austin. <laughs> I mean, those are the two options. So you know, it's, hey. it's that different. Well, big, big sure, cities. come to Austin. But uh, no, I mean, I, I think I think that's fair, right? Like you, I've definitely heard stories of venture capitalists who like did something really fucked up and they were based in, in California, in the Bay Area. Everyone knew about it. Then they moved to Atlanta or they moved to a smaller town and like the local tech community there has who they are. They haven't been following Silicon Valley news and Gawker before it got crushed by Peter Thiel. Like they only know what that person is rewriting their narrative to be. So it is really hard to find someone's past. I actually think that there's a huge opportunity to build a diligence as a service product um, that just like surfaces these things. But anyway, we should stop talking about scumbag people because we're coming back to SBF later in this episode. Uh, so we'll have more time for that <laughs> in the meantime. Uh, Michael, why don't you tell us a bit about what Facebook and Instagram are up to with copying uh, Twitter's whole monetization strategy? Oh, yeah. Look, here's the new deal. Do you want to be a verified user on Facebook or Instagram? You are about to be given the privilege of paying $12 a month to have a blue check on one of these platforms. So I think this is very interesting. And I'll tell you why it's interesting after I finish reading the story. But Meta verified, by the way, they should just change their name back to Facebook. Like just, let's just call it what it is. But they will give you a blue badge along with several other benefits, including increased visibility, protection against impersonation, priority customer support, and more if you pay them $12 a month. So notice I said increased visibility, right? Now, not only does Facebook charge businesses to show their stuff to people, they're getting ready to start charging you to show those racist posts that you're making on Facebook to all of your cousins uh, and and go go through what that is. So it'll be $11.99 on web or $14.99 on mobile. And in an update on Instagram, CEO Mark Zuckerberg announced that a meta-verified account will grant users a verified badge and all this different stuff. It's rolling out to Australia and New Zealand this week and will revive, arrive in more countries soon. And uh, yeah, Mark's pretty stoked about this. He's about to go get some money and and make the street happen. So what do you guys think about it? I mean, he's going to make tens of dollars off of this. I mean, anytime, anytime (laughs) you have a product, a consumer product, and one of like the three bullet bullet points that you're billing is like, oh, this is why it's worth the $12 is better customer service. It's not worth the $12. (laughs) Like, oh yeah, of all the times. Oh yeah, when I was using Facebook a lot in 2007, like all those times I was writing to customer support. No, it's not a real thing. So I think it like, 
I think this actually is a smart business move for uh, for companies and brands on Facebook because I don't I don't know I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook, but I could imagine like yeah, it's probably worth a few bucks to like protect your corporate brand on Facebook if you have an audience of you know hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. But like the average person is never going to pay twelve dollars for this, and I know that because I think it's available in the U.S. All of my Facebook friends are in the U.S. And right before this episode, I went through my like 1,100 Facebook friends, which is like very wide ranging, right? It's like great aunts and uncles that are in their 80s. It's like young, you know, like nieces and nephews that are 10. Like nobody's paid for this. I haven't seen a single blue check on there. It's not a real thing. None of the demographics want to do this. And like, I've only ever seen brands do it in the first week that it's available. Yeah. The only reason Facebook exists is to compare yourself to your high school classmates from 20 years ago. <laughs> see what they're doing, see what you're doing and say, ah, my life could have been a lot worse. <laughs> uh, by the way, like I'm 48 now and like I am starting to see a huge dichotomy from the people that take have taken care of themselves mentally and physically over the past 20 years and those that just kept YOLOing like they were 28 for the last 20 years. And like some of us, some of us have like, you know, like butter smooth skin, not saying I'm one of those. Then there's the group that looks like they're 85 and has been outside, you know, sunbathing every day. And it's pretty rough. But look, let's be real about Facebook. Like, I don't want to be, I, I'm trying not to seem old, right? It's going, I think it's going okay. Like, except for the hair loss, it seems to be going okay. I would pay $12 a month for people not to know that I have a Facebook account. Because <laughs> like, it's all like old people. Like, like, how much do I pay so nobody knows that I have anything to do with your company, Mark? Like, that's what I'm looking I for. I think you can just set yeah. your profile to private, by the way. And then I need you to finish those sentences when you talk to me with, I think you just set your profile as private. Okay, boomer. Like that's the way I need you to end those when you're insulting me. Don't worry. In San San Antonio, you tell someone you work in software and they go, so you can fix my computer. Are you IT support? (laughs) It happens in California too, you know? Cool. Well, speaking of social media, one of the topics that we have on here is um, uh, a recent story about how social media is actually a major cause of mental illness in teenagers and specifically teenage girls. I actually think as we talk about this subject, um, it's social media has been, I think, a net negative for society, unfortunately. And like the stories are finally coming to light after 10 years about how um, just depression is up, suicide is up uh, because of social media. We're all looking at this like perfect vision of everyone else and these curated photos and Um, there's been a ton of reports now and the most recent ones. So the CDC published their biannual youth risk behavior survey, and it showed that most teen girls and most, the percentage is 57% now say that they experience persistent sadness or hopelessness. And that's up from 36% in 2011. I mean, that's almost double and 30% of teen girls now say that they have seriously considered suicide. And that's up from 19% in 2011. And when you look at when these social media platforms became popular, Facebook, their acquisition of Instagram, um, I don't, I don't know if Twitter is a, a cause of this, but you know, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat was a few years later. Um, you know, correlation. Everyone will argue correlation doesn't equal causation, but when you look at the hard data and and the actual reported metrics around suicide and depression and teenagers. Um, it all comes back to the amount of time that we spend on social media, looking at other people's lives, imagining they're perfect, following influencers. And uh, I think it's only going to get worse from here. All right. We're supposed to have like uh, arguments to increase ratings, right? But I'm serious. That is a bullshit take. 
<laughs> like, like, like social media, it, it, by any regards, is a net positive for society. Like you just talked about it. Like you can keep track with people like you've known for 30 years ago. Yeah. Are there some negative externalities? But like, look, even this article talks about the problem. Like, why is it so hard to prove that social media and smartphones are destroying teen mental health? Because it's not true. That's why it's so hard, right? It is true. The reality is we should look at the other stuff going on. No, it's not. Yeah. It's bullshit. Oh, like, my God. That, we should go start with what's going on in the news. Have you watched the news lately? Yeah, but All teenagers don't watch the, teenagers don't watch the news. Antidepressant. Teenagers don't watch the news. They, they fucking doom scroll social media all day long and look at their friends. And they, oh, that person's on a boat or, oh, that person just bought a house or has a car. And then they get lonely because now they're stuck inside and no one's going outside and meeting people in real life. They just want to be stuck in the metaverse or online. And it's making people lonely and depressed and envious of their friends and these influencers. And it is. Dude, that's called being a teenager. <laughs> that's what teenagers are. Then, Don't you? You were just a teenager. Why are, the are you kidding me? Three years ago, up? Alex, you were a teen. I know. Literally three forgotten? years ago. I'm you only 21. On in the video. <laughs> but like, why are suicide and depression rates up so high then in teenagers? It can't be because like everything aside, like if it's not social media, then what is it? The world is not that much more fucked up now than it was 10 years ago. You know what you should consider doing? Read the article that you posted in our prep sheet. Look, <laughs> social media is not the only cause. My larger stories about the rewiring of childhood that began in the 1990s and accelerated in the 2010s. I'm a social psychologist who is always wary of one factor explanations for complex social phenomena. It's the dude, the article you posted says it right there. Like, yeah, it's not great. It's not, in some regards, it's not helping, but it's not the only factor. You can't just blame it on social media. It's literally, if you read to the end of it and not just like skim for 30 seconds it says the collaborative I read the headline it's the headline collaborative this is whole thesis <laughs> it says in the very end the collaborative review doc that these three people put together collects more than a hundred correlational longitudinal and experimental studies on both sides of the question taken as a whole it shows strong and clear evidence of causation, not just correlation. There are surely other contributing causes. Yeah, no shit. You mentioned the news and there's a bunch of like wars and yeah. shit like that. But <laughs> yes. the dog points strongly to this conclusion. Social media is a major cause of the mental illness epidemic in teen girls. Yeah, I don't know. This article's too loud. I can't read this whole thing. <laughs> Could you long. tweet this for me? It is long. Someone should write a thread on this, and it's not going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Look, I mean, just your core thesis. Like, it's not a net negative. It's better. Are there negative externalities? Absolutely. But, like, like just like the news has negative externalities on this stuff, like, you can't throw it all away. Like, this is killing me here. If you want to talk about a bigger problem— this is a bigger problem. The bigger problem is we should ban dating apps because you know what dating apps have done? Have you looked at the the percentage rates of young men who have not had intercourse, who are virgins at 30 now? How high is it? Like, it's horrible. There's Well, okay, so here's what's happening. So these dating apps have made a very efficient market for people to find each other and hook up. So all the women are choosing to try to make out with the top 20% of men who are killing oh. it. And you know what's happening to the rest of the guys? Nada. <laughs> They're getting nothing. Because it's not like when you used to go to church and there was a limited sample size you choose from there. No, no. You go on some app. Mm. And if you're not a top 20% guy, you're screwed. Hmm. Uh, li lit figuratively. Literally, not at wow. all. Power, right? power so law. like, it's a big problem. It's a big problem. Because you know what happens to society when you have a bunch of young men who don't get any? They get really frustrated. Mm. And they take it out in all kinds of crazy places like Twitter. <laughs>
Like go read Twitter and then realize like at least 80%, a good chunk of those people ain't getting none. And that's why they act the way they do. And they're all guys who have uh, uh, the Fight Club avatar. You know what I'm talking about? Brad Pitt and Fight Club. Mm -hmm. They all have the same avatar. That's exactly that. Those guys are all in their basement and they're all very frustrated sexually. Or like the the stoic, the stoic like philosopher carved out of stone. Yeah. Like, you know, you're going to get some real bullshit takes when you get one of those people in yeah. your, in your uh, yeah, yeah. replies. You got a philosopher yeah. carved out of stone, you ain't getting none. That's how that works. <laughs> I mean, would, uh, have there been any studies done that show if prostitution was legalized, uh, it would reduce the, the rates oh, of... Well, my kids listen to this. What are you doing? It's a real thing. No, but we could make one up because research oh. is easy to fake and all researchers are liars. It's like the Always Sunny in Philadelphia thing. Science is a liar but sometimes. I'm actually curious, like if you were to make prostitution legal in the US and you gave an outlet for young and celibate horny men to to actually go pay for services that they can't get through tinder or somewhere like that like would it reduce loneliness and depression and like these like these angry rates that we have in in men under 30 i don't know maybe go go find some random substack article where some guy wrote it over like 80 pages that i ain't got time okay, to I'll read find another one of those for next week <laughs> oh right. man what do we want to talk about next do you want to should we switch topics to our favorite topic which is oh, chatty let's do it Okay, I brought this one. Okay, ChatGPT, the internet's favorite racist, very competent, <laughs> totally incorrect uh, AI bot. Uh, that's a literal reporting, by the way. Uh, has created yet another business boom. And the business boom is that there are now people who are writing books using ChatGPT, and then they are taking and they are putting them on Amazon, and then they are publishing them and selling them for money. Is it and so here's the article. And well, yeah, let me tell you about this guy. <laughs> Until recently, Brett Schickler never imagined he could be a published author, although he had dreamed about it. But after learning about the chat GPT artificial intelligence program, Schickler figured an opportunity had landed in his lap. The idea of writing a book finally seemed possible, said Schickler, <laughs> a salesman in Rochester, New York. I thought I can do this using the AI software, which can generate blocks of text from single prompts. Schickler created a 30-page illustrated children's ebook in a matter of hours and offered it for sale through Amazon Inc.'s self-publishing unit. In the edition called Sammy the Squirrel, crudely rendered also using AI, he learns from his forest friends about saving money after happening upon a gold coin. He crafts an AI. <laughs> what is this? This is terrible. <laughs> Sammy soon became the wealthiest squirrel in the forest, oh the envy God. of his friends, and the forest started prospering, according to the book. The wise little squirrel... Sells for two ninety nine or nine ninety nine for a printed version on Amazon. Chris, how many have you ordered? <laughs> he, he, I mean, I've got my kids have got like dozens of these. By the way, the problem with the Sammy the Squirrel series, if if I'm being frank, and how I knew it was written by Chat GPT, <laughs> was on page like twenty seven, twenty eight. It always just becomes like blatantly racist towards the Irish. It just like out of nowhere, it's like Sammy the Squirrel. What are we doing here? You know why the Irish? Why such hatred? It's like it goes into this like tangent about how the potato famine wasn't real and like it was actually a good thing for society. Oh, Sammy, wow. you know, what the hell? So I kind of knew that those books were were uh, GPT generated, but this is a this is a genius idea. It's uh, good for him. My favorite part about this story is that this guy who you're I forgot his name already uh, is not Brett I, Schickler, I think. So terrible Brett, name. Brett Schickler was not a good enough writer to write and publish a children's book which is an elementary level uh, grammar and education required to publish a children's book. It's literally like the squirrel went into the forest. The squirrel ate a berry. 
Squirrel and his friends said goodnight. Goodnight, Moon. And like, that's the end of your children's book. The fact that he couldn't write that book and he had to use Chat DPT to write a children's book. <laughs> we are in for a treat with all the Brett Schicklers who are about to come out over the next uh, next year and write their own versions of children's books because they can't spell in real life. Sandra, Sandra Boynton is going to go crazy with this. She's going to make another billion dollars. <laughs> it gets very meta. There were over 200 ebooks in Amazon's Kindle store as of mid-February, listing ChatGP as an author or co-author. Now there's a whole new subgenre of books written by ChatGPT, teaching people how to write books using ChatGPT. <laughs> <laughs> so meta. Oh, oh yeah, the pick, pickaxes to miners, baby. That's where the money really is here. The thing you can take here is like, is this quote from Sam Schickler or Brett Schickler? The idea of writing a book finally seemed possible. Here's the deal. Sam is a, or Brett here is a testament to how delusional people could be. Because when you click some prompts into ChatGPT and it writes the book for you, you are not a book author. <laughs> you are a copy paster. Yes. And like, let's just be real about it. But it, it comes back to this idea I've been talking about, like our con concept of ownership and content and authorship, it's about to all blow up because it's no longer going to acquire any work to generate stuff. And like Brett here and his delusional Sammy the Squirrel, the neo-Nazi squirrel who <laughs> saves the forest. Like it's gonna, it's 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 just part of the fun that's coming. And you're gonna end up paying $12 a month to Mark Zuckerberg. So everybody will read your chat GP generated oh, Sammy God. the Squirrel, the fascist dictator of the forest <laughs> book. And it's all here for you. Social media so, is, yeah. is a net negative. I'm just <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Oh this God. gives Sammy the racist squirrel a platform. We need to deplatformize Sammy yes. the squirrel before things get out of control. A hundred percent. Oh my God. Wow. That's amazing. I can't believe I already made it into the, the course selling uh, part of the chat GPT phenomenon. Like that, I feel like that usually happens late into these cycles where like when people run out of ideas to make money and they say, let's launch a course and I'll sell you a course on how to make money on doing this thing that I don't make money at. We've we've already gotten there with ChatGPT. It's quite impressive. The the Gumroad the Gumroad course boys move incredibly fast. They <laughs> they just swarm opportunities when they see them. ChatGPT is going to do a hold code course next. That's where it's going to yep. go. Sometimes I can't tell if I'm just not a grifter or if I'm not creative. Like maybe I'm just a bad entrepreneur, and I don't come up with these. You're not an entrepreneur, don't you? Have a job? Yeah, but then like we're doing a podcast. <laughs> like and... what is this? <laughs> Don't you, doesn't your tax return have a W-2 in it? Like yeah, and 1099s. On. You can make money on the side. All the money we're making from this podcast, I think yeah. uh, I think we can consider ourselves co-founders of this, you know? I whip off whip I, off my mask. I'm Brett Shigley. <laughs> uh, let's get into real businesses and talk about Apple for a second. So um, I find this really cool as someone who works in healthcare, but Apple is allegedly getting close to bringing a no, uh, a no prick CGM device to market. I almost said uh, no prick glucose monitoring device to the Apple Watch. And this is incredible. Like people have been trying to do this for years, figure out a way uh, to do a bloodless analysis of your blood glucose. Because historically, with any CGM device, you have to uh, get blood, which requires pricking yourself or, or putting a needle into your arm. And the newest CGM devices are great. Like they're they're painless. I I've worn them to see what my blood blood glucose is, but they still require a needle in your arm, which causes bruising. You have to replace it every two weeks. Um, they have a limited a limited life in that. And uh, 
if Apple can figure out how to basically take these lasers and like scan the blood under your skin and measure your, measure your blood glucose, it's going to be fucking game changing. Like the Apple Watch will be the most impressive piece of hardware uh, on the planet, I think, like consumer hardware on the planet. Um, and and the reason why it's so important is because when you look at the actual rates of pre-diabetes and diabetes, which which is why these blood glucose devices are so important, like 38% of the population is pre-diabetic. And 19, I, I think it's something like 19% is actually um, diabetic. I mean, we're talking like tens of millions of people in the US uh, have been diagnosed with pre-diabetes. And so when you think about an easy, accessible way to measure your blood glucose without having to take a prick, it's on everyone's uh, devices, you can get really proactive in your care before you end up with full-fledged diabetes. What is, so this is amazing, but what does what like reportedly closer actually mean? Like, is this like, a, is this gonna happen in 2023? Or is, I feel no. like reportedly closer in the healthcare field is like, I, I'll be dead by then. You know, like <laughs> we're reportedly closer to being able to do this. That they, I think they're a few years away. So they've been working on this since the Steve Jobs era. Um, 2010, they acquired a company and they sort of kept it under wraps since then. And now they're finally starting, I think they're starting to like leak the details around um, getting way closer to having this capability. And so I think a few, I think getting close means a few years away. It doesn't mean this year. Uh, only, only time will tell. I heard they hired Elizabeth Holmes to lead this. Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I hope not. One prick of blood. I mean, if you're if you're like the person at Apple that runs this division and you're not showing up to work in a black turtleneck every day, you are doing your job wrong because that is, <laughs> you know, I mean, what a perfect outfit. This is another one of those things you talk about, like the incidence of like diabetes type two and pre-diabetes. And by the way, I live in the diabetes capital of North America or of the United States, which is San Antonio. Like, like literally you go to the doctor here. And uh, they'll be like, okay, so uh, what kind of diabetes do you have? One or two or like both? And I'm like, none? Like, I eat salads. Like, what's the big deal? But like, this is another one of those things where like, we're building a device when the reality is we just need to stop drinking so many Coca-Colas. Mm. Like, stop stop eating sugar all the time. For diabetes type 2, it's that's what I'm saying. Diabetes type 1, that's totally different. Okay. It's not, diabetes it is type not two, that simple. It is not that simple. You, your diabetes type 2 is not caused by poor diet? Yes, but you have to realize that like everything in the U.S. has corn syrup in it. Like they just inject corn syrup in any food that they can find, and the big corn companies lobby the the FDA to get all these approvals for all these foods. And so it's not just like oh, go eat healthier. It's like you have to go read every ingredient on the back of a label. Most of America has the the reading comprehension of a third grader, and so it's really hard to eat healthy in the U.S. unless you know exactly what you're looking for. And then sugar yeah. is hidden as like xylitol and zooblabofol and like all these fucking code names that they put for sugar yeah. on the back. How are you supposed? It's not just so. Let's do that instead of building a goddamn watch. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we go fix the real problem? Let's fix the real problem. There's too don't much fix money the behind problem the, with some technology. There's too much money behind the the corn syrup industry. They're too powerful. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm fine with that. If, big, <laughs> if, that's, if that's the solution, that's fine. But let's be realistic about it. Like, it ain't it. We ain't dying of diabetes type two or getting our feet amputated because we don't have an Apple Watch, right? It's because we're putting <laughs> shit in our body all the time. <laughs> that's not wrong, but you. Well, have there to. goes the Apple sponsorship. <laughs> oh man wait we have sponsors 
<laughs> oh, there goes the. Big I was working them so hard, and then you said that. We love Apple Sorry. Watch here. Cool. Well, that was uh, that was Girdley's Galaxy take on uh, CGM devices for this for this episode. This is Michael Girdley, by the way. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, great. I don't know. You guys did say I needed to do two Girdley Galaxy Brain segments per episode for us to get to the top ten. That's good. Um, so we're gonna make maybe, it happen. Maybe we'll start with zero this week because I haven't had any yet. Well, um, well, let's come back to scummy people as we get closer to the end of this episode and talk about the the new recent allegations against SPF. Oh, I forgot we still had this story. So when you were like, "Let's go back to scummy people," Chris, why don't you take it away? I was like, "Dude, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> why?" Uh, yeah. So so Sam Bankman-Fried, back in the news, founder of FTX. Uh, he was arrested on four new charges today, um, where he faces up to an additional 40 years of jail, which will get, you know, reduced down to like 40 hours of community service, which, you know, will get reduced down to 40 hours of community service because the law firm that he's using has like six last names in it. If you're using a law firm that has six last names in it, those guys, you're going to get zero jail time. Like if you're using a lawyer that has like, you know, Johnson and Johnson, like you're going to get locked away for 45 years. But if they have six, seven last names, that's a good law firm. So he might get 40 years of jail. And all of this is around his political donations, which we've talked about on the podcast before. Um, the, the kind of amazing detail that got brought to light today was he was using Signal um, with two other executives, and the signal group was called Donation Processing, and he would take customer funds, and he would go in this signal chat group and tell two executives to donate the money under their names so that it wouldn't come back to FTX or SBF. So this is kind of amazing, uh, because I think a lot of people mistake signal for like totally off the grid nobody will ever read these so, so to like see everything like all these like signal like chats just like published in the news today was amazing one and then two i think everybody's like had this theory that yeah like how did all of these packs and politicians get millions of dollars from sam bakeman freed yeah he just stole it from customers and i think we've known that for a long time but the charges finally dropped today uh and so hopefully he goes to jail for a very long time he's so bad at not. committing fraud like he's just so bad terrible at it. and then he tweets all of his all the proof against him out he's like here are the 10 things that i like here's why i didn't do this all these things and then he tweets here's it the out google sheet like very obvious that he did all the things if the signal chat doesn't fit you must quit it's like modern <laughs> oj shit it's good it's it's one of those things where you're like you got to wonder, like, if you were actually okay at crime, like, you could get away with a lot. But, like, these people, like, you see them getting caught and you're like, man, these people are really stupid. But, like, what if you had a smart person doing crime? That's what I always kind of wonder. Like, you could really do well. Like, you never hear about it. They, that was one of the things they talked about, I think, on The Wire. Like, do you, are you guys, did you ever watch The Wire? Nope. Mm -mm. No? God damn it, I'm so old. Big Lebowski, <laughs> have you seen The Big Lebowski? Oh, yeah, Big Lebowski. White Russians. <laughs> you know, basically, basically, that was just like a generational sorting right there. Alex is like, Big Lebowski. How do you spell that? It sounds like uh, someone. <laughs> Chris is like, yeah, I've seen that. Fellow member of the great, tribe. Great, great movie about a couple guys in a bowling alley, you know? <laughs> uh, but anyway, so in The Wire, they have this great scene where one of the guys tells, like, one of the drug dealers, the drug kingpins, tells the other drug dealer, like, you know, like, don't be so flashy. Like, just be quiet, lay low, don't kill people. Like, don't don't create a flash and you'll last forever. Like, have you ever heard of so-and-so? And he lists some guy's name and the guy's like, no. And he's like, the guy made millions of dollars a year for decades. 
Like, and nobody ever did it because he just like was smart, stayed on the radar, never brought attention to himself, just kept moving on day after day after year. And so you got to wonder, like, what if you were just like a smart criminal? Like this guy could have made, I mean, Sam Bakeman-Fried, he could have made so much money just being kind of criminal. Like, like if he just stole 1% of the money instead of 70% of the money, like he would have taken home like $3 billion. Yeah, he's got to be stupid. And he'd still own a big chunk of the company. Like, and nobody'd have any idea. Like, it's just, it's just crazy. So anyway, uh, maybe if I was smarter, I would have been a criminal. Think about it. And for any criminals out there, Stay smart. That's our advice. <laughs> for any criminals out there, we we will be using ChatGPT to write a course for you soon. Uh, it is ten thousand dollars, and it includes a mastermind. So, so you it'll are be fantastic. Smart. You are smart. You just found a way to defraud people out of uh, ten thousand dollars with a course. Uh, I mean, no, no, it'll be a full course. I'll deliver some value. Which 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 GPT three? Which book are you going to include that you haven't read yet beyond the cover? <laughs> oh, how dare you? How dare you? Well, the the cool thing is, I don't know if you guys have noticed about our podcast, the downloads are going up week by week, which means, and then you'll see when people actually do subscribe, they go back and listen to the old episodes because they're at least somewhat entertained or they're laughing at us or some combination of the two. So that's a good sign. Yeah. Each week growing a little bit. So. so we have one more article and news story to end this episode, and it is about our favorite large company, Amazon, finally closing the acquisition of One Medical after they announced it about nine months ago. And so uh, for now, the deal is $9 billion. Amazon acquires One Medical. They shut down their own Amazon healthcare unit now that they're acquiring One Medical. Um, And it's actually a really interesting story because yesterday the FTC said that they would not contest the buyout. And then the next day it closed, which is a really positive sign for future deals that could get done in healthcare. A lot of the times these deals don't get done because the FTC will block them or they'll end up in months and months of um, uh, regulatory approval to try to uh, prove that it's not violating antitrust laws um, and, and, and making a non-competitive market. And so um, they finally closed the deal. And now it looks like a lot of us will be getting our healthcare from Amazon alongside all the other things that we get from them, groceries, uh, all of literally everything delivered to our front doors. And so it's, um, it's a fascinating move now that it is closed. And I think in the next few years, all of our prime memberships are going to come with one medical memberships and we will be going to our Amazon doctor to get care. You can go to your Amazon doctor about your diabetes problem. And they're going to be <laughs> like, have you been back on the donuts? And you'll be like, I've never had a donut in my life. And they're going to go to your Amazon Prime account live in the room and go, you just ordered a box delivered to your door yesterday. Oh. This is going to be amazing. I can't wait. They're going to get your Whole Foods. This. They're going to get your Whole Foods receipt. They're going to see that you binge date yep. empanadas at 9 p.m. on a Thursday night. Did you, ever, did you ever hear when Whole Foods first got started, it almost failed? Do you want to know why? Did you guys hear why this happened? Groceries no. low margin. So when Whole Foods first started, when Whole Foods first started, they originally tried to be a f- actual health food store as opposed to selling you sugary crap and a bunch of lotions and potions and all that, that stuff, that high margin stuff in the middle next to the food bar, you know what I'm talking about, where you can go get, you know, homeopathic remedies. Uh, but so when they first started selling stuff, they didn't have honey, they didn't sell sugar, they didn't sell any of that crap, right? And the store almost failed because Americans wouldn't buy any of it. They're like, health food? I don't actually want real health food. I just want food that looks like it's healthy. (laughs) So can you offer me that, please? And like, so they, it was either like, look, you got to sell the Americans what they want or you got to go out of the business. So what do you think Whole Foods did? 
They sold out to the man. And now they're selling sugar just like everybody else does. Yeah, but it feels go good. Green. You go there and you're like, I'm eating whole grain food. It's in the name. How could it not be healthy if I'm here? It's called Whole Foods. Uh, look, it's America. You just look on the label and the healthier the label looks, the worse it is for you. <laughs> that's, that's, what that's, I've, that's what I've concluded. <laughs> You might as well just put a whole packet of Oreos in your mouth and call it a day rather than eat some of the stuff that they claim to be healthy because it ain't that. We're going to have so many good clips, health advice with Girdley. I mean, there's like 12 clips we can clip out of this episode. It's going to be great. great. Wait, this is recorded? <laughs> We're recording this? We're recording this. It it's, it's going out to the world first thing tomorrow morning. That would be an amazing podcast where you just do a Zoom and it's like three guys. Two of them know that it's being recorded and the third guy's just not in on it. And just like they become this like viral sensation. And it's just oh, like, it, it probably makes it very authentic, you know? The two guys could like egg on the third guy by like saying increasingly racist, like bro guy stuff. <laughs> oh, man. It's, like, it's like to catch a predator, but bro edition. Hey, Sammy the Squirrel, what do you really feel about the... <laughs> Sammy the Nazi Squirrel. Canadians, am I right? <laughs> I got to go on Amazon now and go buy All right, this hey, book. As the person who wants us to become a top 10 technology podcast, uh, we're over the time. I think, didn't we try to say we're going to be over under 40 minutes? Yeah, I think we're right there. So, uh, okay. Let's wrap here. <laughs> that, uh, once again, we need you your mother, your father, your parents, your siblings, your cousins to go and subscribe and like the podcast and rate it and review it and do everything to get us in the top charts. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. Um, I forget what other channels we're on. And that'll be great. That way, me and Chris can both feed our family. Michael can keep flying his private jet. And then we can keep producing great content every week for you all. Let's go. And that's it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>